Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours, the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe. And for the next hour, we'll be talking project management with our special guests. I also want to say thank you to our sponsor, the PMO Squad. They are the premier provider of project management talent, training, and services across the United States. Visit www.thepmosquad.com to learn more about all of their services, including the purpose-driven PMO. Just want to acknowledge, right, we're a project management radio show, and today is International Project Management Day, so how appropriate to be broadcasting live. And uh, with that, a reminder that IIL, for the 16th consecutive year, has an online conference that's available for everybody to register. If you go out to IIL.com, go to the 2019 online conference for International Project Management Day. You'll be able to register, and if you are a veteran, service member, or military spouse, during the registration, you can use promo code VPMMA and register for free. Uh, so we're very proud of that partnership with IAL to get a free member, uh, free registration out of that. If you're a civilian like me, you're able to use promo code PMO Squad and get $10 off the registration. The conference starts today, and it runs for 90 days, so uh, you'll have plenty of time from the comfort of your own home to get all the great content and listen to the speakers. So I encourage everybody to go out there and celebrate. Now, with that, we are so excited today to have with us our special guests, Rich Maltzman, Jim Stewart, and Janelle Lee. Welcome, everybody. Great to be here. Thank you. Greetings. Rich, if, if you would take a moment, please introduce yourself to the listeners and, uh, and uh, get our show going. Glad to do so, and happy International PM Day, uh, something I've been involved with, actually, for quite a while. I got the, the governor of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to declare um, International PM Month, uh, November International PM Month, a couple of years ago. So we multiplied that by 30. Uh, so by way of introduction, Rich Maltzman. Uh, I am a senior lecturer at Boston University, coming to you live from the shores of the River Charles. Um, I won't dwell on that too long, but I've got about 40 years in industry and a parallel career in teaching and uh, writing uh, project management books with outstanding other project managers like the great James Stewart, who will introduce himself next. Yeah, Jim, please say hello. Well, I'm hardly worthy of that, Rich. Thanks, uh, thanks, Rich. Uh, Jim Stewart here. I've been doing project management for about 25 years, independent since 2003. Past five or six years, been getting heavily into Agile and uh, a bunch of certifications. I won't go into all that. Uh, in in the in both traditional and Agile uh, project management, uh, my my sweet spot is consulting, training, and mentoring. And in fact, uh, Joe had uh, positioned to us. A, or an organization that allows one to mentor veterans, and Joe, you'll be happy to know I am mentoring a veteran through that organization. Uh, we've been in that or- relationship for about the past month or so. He's a um, 
is a, a United States Air Force uh, 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 guy, and he's working at one of the contractors over in Iraq. And I'm tr- hoping to try to help him transition from that into project management. Uh, the last thing I'll say is I, I'm focusing currently on agile transformations uh, for companies who want them. Along with Rich, I'm on a board of an organization called Mind Edge, which is training. And we have co-written a book we're going to talk somewhat about facilitating project planning meetings. And that's the very short nutshell of it. Well, great. Thank you so much. And then here in studio with us, we have Janelle Lee. Hello, Janelle. Hi, I'm Janelle Lee. I'm a director of project management for a Fortune 500 financial technology company in Phoenix. Um, I've been in project management about 15 years and director roles for about 10 years. And I'm PMP and PMI ACP certified. That's fantastic. Such a great mix uh, of knowledge and experience on the show today. Really looking forward to that. And, Jim, thanks for the mentorship uh, within VPMMA. That's very much appreciated. Uh, I, I failed to mention that the, uh, myself and the other co-founder, Eric Wright, are presenters during International Project Management Day at IIL. So if you uh, register and go out to the site, you'll be able to see our presentation to learn more about VPMMA and how you, too, can be a mentor and help the organization and our veterans. So let's jump into it. Let's talk some project management. And uh, I guess we'll start. Both Jim and Rich, you guys had alluded to a book. What What is that book? And tell us a little bit about it. Um, I'll start. Uh, so the book is called How to Facilitate Productive Project Planning Meetings. It's a very descriptive title, and it is a how-to book. It's a paperback. It's very accessible and inexpensive. Um, subtitle is A Practical Guide to Ensuring Project Success, with the idea being that we kind of unfortunately end up living on meetings. So if they don't go well, that means communication doesn't go well. We all know that communications is 89.3265% of project management or some number close to that. So um, we've we've taken on meetings and realizing that they're kind of, um, they can be a waste of time if they're not done well. They can be fantastic if they are done well. Um, we aimed this book specifically at that um, using a lot of experience. Jim and I have both sat through many, many meetings, too many to count. Um, And we also surveyed a lot of project managers out there because of our networks. We're pretty well networked and uh, got a lot of great war stories. These things really happened, and here's how you might avoid them. Jim, you want to add anything else about the book? What I was going to say was that this book is also on a Kindle version. Uh, and what we discovered, too, is that there's more interest than either Richard or I thought. It's very much of a nuts and bolts how-to book, how to run a meeting. And here we are, one year later, still talking about it. Every time we speak about it somewhere, somebody else wants to hear about it. So that nuts and bolts uh, need for doing a project and running a meeting is still very much there, no matter what size organization. And Janelle, I would imagine as a director of a, of a PMO that meetings are incorporated throughout your day. Uh, in a book such as this would be beneficial and informative to you as well. Oh, absolutely. The thing I like the most about the book is focusing on uh, the value and vision on a project. I think as project managers, we tend to lose that. We get focused in the day-to-day issues and tasks to be done. We don't consistently (coughs) remind the team of the vision and value of the project that they're bringing. 
Yeah, it's interesting, right? We, uh, you talk about value, right? And project management for so long has been scope and budget and timeline, but there seems to be a shift in the industry now move, moving towards value as a measure for project success. What's been your experience, Janelle, with that? Absolutely. So defining a scope and a budget and staying on, on scope, budget, time is great if you're delivering something that's actually going to be used by the client. So the best way to measure project success is not necessarily whether a project is on time or budget. It's whether the project delivers value to the business and to the customer. And, you know, Jim and and Rich, as you guys aren't just authors of a book, right? You're long-term practitioners out there in the the field. Um, What are you seeing related to value uh, as a measure as opposed to just scope and time and budget? I'd like to jump in on that one. Uh, I think Janelle is spot on. I think one of the issues we had with traditional waterfall, now not the damn waterfall because I've been a practitioner for a long time. I still do it. But the emphasis on value wasn't quite there as much. Whereas in Agile, at the end of every sprint, which can be a couple of weeks, we're reprioritizing the backlog for business value. The product owner is doing this in alignment with the team and with the business. So there's a a real focus on it from moment to moment, whereas I didn't see that so much before. And I think that's affected both sides of the house. That's my initial thought on it. Yeah, and I'll I'll add to it as well uh, that um, this idea of benefits realization, which is a fancy way of saying what Janelle called accurately value, um, and, and making providing lasting value for a project manager, that's become a big trend. Um, separately, uh, different couple of books uh, I've co-authored uh, on green project management, which is a terrible name. It really should be sustainability in PM. Um, thinks about sustained value, economic ecological and social value. And I don't want to go off on that tangent because Jim knows that we'll take the rest of the call. But I do want to say that there is an increasing by a huge increase in interest in this idea of continuing to focus on scope, time and cost, right? That's still important. But with the extra check-in and Agile does a good job of that. I say check-in, is this delivering continuing, ongoing, steady state value uh, to the company and other other stakeholders. I just came back from a talk in Milan where uh, I addressed all three chapters of uh, PMI Italy, a pretty straightforward division there, North, Central, and South. And in that, in that talk, there were 700 attendees, and there was a great reception for this. Um, and it's good to see that PMI is working this into its conferences. This was a themed, themed around you know, sustainability. And I can tell you that it's going into the seventh edition of the Pinbuck Guide because I'm working on that. I can't tell you much more, or I will have to go through some kind of congressional investigation. <laughs> but um, this is a this is a big, big deal in what's uh, what's changing in project management. So be ready. And I think it changes our role as project leaders and project managers. We traditionally think about project ending and we've done our lessons learned and we're complete and really our role has changed to continuing through the life cycle of that product and making sure we have truly delivered value on that project our role no longer ends when a project ends yeah and i i think the that's right 
the interesting component of that, right, and tying all the stuff <coughs> up is I see Dr. Kersner wrote the foreword on your book. Dr. Kersner was the morning kickoff presentation for International Project Management Day today, and his discussion was on benefits and value uh, and talking about how agile gets us more immediate value realization because we're doing the sprint based as opposed to waterfall, which is at the end when the product's finished. So you guys uh, all summarized Dr. Kersner's presentation today. I'm sure he's uh, happy that you did that. You did that. There you go. <laughs> so, what's, you know, we talked a little bit about the book and, and uh, what's it about, but how did you guys come to write the book, right? What happened that you said, hey, I think we're going to write a book. Well, I think Rich knows I'm going to go with that one. So here's the deal. Rich and I have known each other for a number of years. We're pretty good friends. We live about 15 minutes from each other. We worked on a lot of stuff, writing PMP questions and you name it, doing projects, et cetera. So Rich had written a couple of books already, and I hadn't written one with him. I was looking as independent. The way you say it's kind of like the, the professors, publish or perish. So in terms of being an independent, they're always saying write a book, write a book. It's good collateral. So I, I had another friend who was a, a project manager, also a professor at um, – at Brandeis University. We were talking at lunch. I said, I'm trying to think of a book. He said, you know those meetings you run, those big meetings you're doing largely at pharmaceutical? I said, yeah. He said, I'd read that book. I said, okay. So I approached Rich with the idea, and after some discussion about it, he said, yeah, that sounds interesting. And so uh, to make a long story short, we got to work on it, uh, make it found, found a publisher, and, and we we're off to the races. But it was really uh, those particular meetings I was doing, and I know Rich was doing them in another fashion. That was the uh, the genesis of the book. That's right. My background is telecom, and we had similar two-day, one-and-a-half, two-day kickoff meetings. And they went splendidly well once we got we got good at it. We had a template for it, <clears throat> and we had, uh, you know, meaningful results of these meetings. And let me step back. I think Janelle kind of talked about this already, and that is, as project manager. We're done, folks, right? We want stuff done on time. We want that to be uh, exactly what the customer wants. But you know what? We tend to fail, or at least a little bit more poorly at our own stuff. Kind of the, the, the shoemaker's son has no shoes. Um, we often do not project manage our meetings too well. We don't set them up. We don't have an agenda. We don't... Uh, uh, understand how to better facilitate them, and that, that's what we basically. That's basically the, the the underlying theme of this book is that project meetings are mini projects. Let's manage them that way. Let's make sure that uh, there's a communications plan of sorts for them, and let's make sure that people understand how uh, who's supposed to be there, why they're there, what they'll be presenting, and even risk management um, projects. Uh, full of risks, opportunities, and threats, and so are meetings. And one of the things we write about in the book are um, meeting goblins, little threats that show up in our meeting, like I'm doing right now, being a little bit too garrulous. So I'm going to stop. But that's an example of one of the other ways we can project manage our meetings, uh, look at threats. You know, you had mentioned uh, Jim Brandeis and Rich, you had mentioned Boston University. So for those who don't know, right, you're coming to us live from Boston. Uh, and as a lifelong Boston Red Sox fan, I'll just jump and say, hey, what's going on? Are we going to sign Mookie Betts or are we going to trade him? What's the word in Boston telling us these days? The last, you know, the problem they have without getting too wonky about it is they're up against their salary cap. 
So trying to decide, should we keep him or not keep him? But my philosophy is, if they had thought about that when they got Ortiz and had traded him because they didn't have the money, look where we'd be. So I don't know what they're going to do. But, I mean, I would just blow through the salary cap, pay the penalty, and, and be done with it. Everyone in Boston wants to keep him. I think uh, one of the newscasts last night, yeah, Channel 5 newscast last night, since we're in the media here, um, they actually started to pass a hat around and collect cash. <laughs> That's extreme, but okay. It's a little extreme. Yeah. Well, I'll throw my $2 in there as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's help the poor, right? Help the poor. Yeah. He needs another $15 million. Right. <laughs> Show him some respect. And, and Janelle, you know, talking a little outside the ranks of project management, you have some interests as well that you support and volunteer for. I do. Um, yes. I believe one is um, Maggie's Place. Yes. So Maggie's Place provides home for homeless pregnant women or women who have just had baby, and, a baby, and it's a great community. Um, they help these women become self-sufficient, and I volunteer there regularly. Um, bring donations to them and support their house. It's a, a great organization. It's maggiesplace.org. So we have the extremes, right? We can help Mookie Betts, who only made $23 million last year, uh, or and we can cheer for him because he's our favorite team, or we can make a, a difference in someone's life by really going out to help those who need it, right, at maggiesplace.org. Yeah, I just shifted my $2 over to, to Maggie's Place. Very good, uh, very good work, uh, Janelle, seriously. All right, so we uh, sidetracked there for a little person because, hey, we're, we're people, right? And uh, the reality of project management is the good ones or the great ones, rather, understand who we are as people and can interact at a personal level. So I always like to get to know the guests a little bit more than just as uh, a name and a face on a book or in person. Uh, so, Janelle, you know, going back to your role, uh, within as a PMO director, right? Large organization, you're running the show over there. What's the PMO's responsibility for organizational transformation, right? I mean, projects by definition are all unique endeavors, right? That are change or change agents, right? So, really, every project is a is a change agent in one way or another. But the PMO is shifting as well to be less project focused, be more product focused and value-focused, and that includes the organizational transformation. We talked about agile transformation, and PMOs are at the ground floor of that, so they need to really guide their teams through those transformations um, from waterfall to agile or any other iteration of that. Yeah, we do uh, the PMO squad. We have our main service is called the Purpose Driven PMO. And we've rebranded it from PMO being usually project management office to purpose measure optimize, where the, the theme of the PMO should be on what the business needs, not what we as project managers want to measure and govern. Absolutely. So, yeah, it fits right in with the, the waterfall to agile or agile to waterfall or combination, iterative, whatever it may be. Find your purpose and then you can go do your transformation. Right. And for the record, PMO is a terrible term we should all change it to delivery or value service something we should get together and decide what we want to call pmo yeah i would agree with that although that said i have a question for janelle if i may yeah so interesting i look at her perspective on this where i am i'm working at a company by the way my background's in it and i'm working at a cybersecurity company and when i came in there's a woman working there who i pre i know from uh serving on the same board that rich and i do coincidentally She's a dyed-in-the-wool agilist. She has never done a waterfall. 
And I was brought there to start a PMO, and she really argued with me why we even need a PMO. From her agilist point of view, there was no need because they're so decentralized. And I've discovered in some PMOs, they don't necessarily, from their perspective, support agile or on board with it. So I wonder, if, you know, am I seeing a skewed vision of the world? Is this what what, what you folks are seeing, Janelle is seeing? Or what's your take on that, agile? Is the PMO accepting of the agilists? Are the agilists accepting of PMOs? I think if you go back to the value that the project organization delivers, we do bring value to the agile process. We don't necessarily have to be scrum masters, but we can make sure that what they're delivering, even on an iterative basis, is providing value, is moving forward. We're removing roadblocks. So to say that you're no longer valuable because we're agile is a, is a misconception. Mm. And I would, I'm going to probably oversimplify this and have a thousand spears thrown at me. But if we change our accounting practice from cash to accrual, there'd still be value in the accounting department. Right. And, and that's and, kind of the comparison that I like to make, right? It, it, it doesn't matter the technique you use. It's the value you provide. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I agree with that. Both of what you're saying is just the attitude I've run into from some people. One, one woman, I, both Rich and I both know, she runs a PMO but has no time for Agile. This other gal that I know working at the place is like, well, why do I need a PMO? So I'm agreeing with you. I'm just saying I'm seeing some of that, at least out here, that's sort of like a bit of oil and water, and I don't know what's causing that. Well, I think part of it is perception. So when you say PMO, people are thinking of very heavy process, very heavy rigor. So if you can provide what value you would bring in an agile organization, it solves that problem. Yeah. Yeah. I think VDO, we should be VDOs, right? Value delivery organization. Then you're done. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's where, why we came up with the purpose-driven PMO, right? Is if you're a PMO leader at company X, you may have run a project management office. You then move to a new career at company Y, and maybe they have a program management office. Both called PMOs, both different meanings. Um, but the organization reacts to them with one name. So we rebrand yeah. as purpose. You define what it is. Are you agile? Are you traditional? Are you project? Are you program? And then the measure and optimize component to that ties into the value, right? Are you providing value? And are we optimizing to ensure we're hitting that value? I remember reading I remember reading about PMOs when I first started uh, in that work, because that's been the last 20 years of my career. I've also been in the PMO, more in the area of um, certification, career management, career path, so the softer side, if you will, of the PMO. But in this book, and I think you get a kick out of this, they had a spectrum. On one side of the spectrum was a Quaker, and on the other side of the spectrum was Attila the Hun. And they said PMOs run the gamut from Quaker to Attila meaning that some are directive, as Janelle said, process heavy. This is the way thou shalt run your projects with templates and um, and strict guidelines uh, or even laws about the policies about the way you run projects. And the Quaker, who's there to help you and perhaps prepare some oats for you? Hmm. I like the comparison. It certainly gives the visual, right, to the discussion. I love that. And, Joe, you hit on an interesting thing, maybe backed into it, which is, what I discovered in my years in project management is the lack of standardization from one organization to another. So if we were all electricians or plumbers, 
we would have codes we'd work by and go from one place to another and do it pretty much the same way. I can walk into any 10 organizations across this country. One calls their PMO, does X. One calls the Center of Excellence, does Y. One uses Microsoft Project. Another one uses Excel and Word. It's just like it's all made up. It's like an immaturity model of from one to five. Most of them are hovering about 1.5 ad hoc and everything else is thrown up into the air. So this is part of the problem too. There's no, there's an accepted standard, which is the PMBOK, the project management body of knowledge and Scrum has their own. I've even gone to meetings where people say, I'm not sure if I'm the product owner or if I'm the Scrum master. So it's weird because we have standards, but nobody ever reads those standards or follows. I'm exaggerating when I say nobody, but it gets frustrating because people don't really have this. We have these codes and these standards, but they don't get followed nearly as much. And a lot of it is, seat of the pants that's just my that's my rant for the day yeah it makes it difficult for us in the academic world to um try to teach what is a pmo when when i know and as we'd say in boston in my hat <laughs> that that varies significantly so what i do is i talk about attila the hunt and the quaker and i talk about my own experience i try to make it practical but i do advise them that you'll find very different work if you're going to become a PMO leader or a PMO team member, usually that's where they're starting. You don't jump right up to Janelle. <laughs> um, but you, you're you're probably going to find a quite different environment. But I'll try to at least cover some of the differences that I've seen in my career. Well, and I think to tie into Jim's comments, right? Um, there is a PMBOK and there is definitions of the Agile Manifesto, etc. But there isn't a book, a Bach, a body of knowledge of strictly for PMOs, right? It's a there Actually, there are people working on that. There, so if you check, I can't remember all the names of the folks involved, but there's, there's a group in the UK, uh, Lindsay Scott, I know is one of the folks, and there's a, another person named Americo, um, I can't remember, but there Americo are several Pinto, groups that yeah. are trying, struggling, but trying to do so and get some standards outlined. Yes, I, I agree. And I know, uh, actually, uh, Lindsay's going to be on our show in next year in America. I'm speaking at the PMO Trends Conference in December. So you're familiar with both of them and agree there's there's folks that are out there doing it, but nothing is accepted yet, right? As uh, Exactly. And that's exactly. They need to gain some traction. So you're, you're right. Yep. So, you know, tying into that, right, uh, is IT is evolving too, right? I mean, we've got stuff like DevOps and DevSecOps and lean methodologies. Janelle, I mean, what's how does that play into how a PML operates? Really, when you think about those things, you have to think about how the roles and responsibilities have been blurred. So there's no longer that clear definition of a developer, a tester, somebody who implements code in production. Um, those lines are blurring. So if you think about it at a project scale, it's very difficult to pinpoint one person is responsible for this task. You need to go to that more decentralized model and have team collaboration and understand who's going to do what within each project because it will change with DevSecOps. Uh, Lean goes a lot towards that value delivery. So we need to be asking not just what the value is of the project, but every single process that we do in project management, in development, um, what are the areas of waste that we can remove and create a frictionless implementation? And I would say we talk about standards, 
we have 44 standards and we're talking about we're not following those standards, I would say why? If we're not following those standards, there's probably a reason and there's no value in following those standards. So maybe the standards need to change. Or even sometimes people don't even know their standards. Like I said, when I teach, I teach a lot of PMP and whatnot. People never heard of the PMBOK. They never, you'll be, be astounded. And I'm teach. I taught last weekend again, next weekend in PMP. I always ask for a show of hands who here is using Agile or has heard of it. Usually out of a class of 15 people, two are using it, the rest have sort of heard of it and have no clue. So, and then on the PMBOK side, God, when they see that, they're just like, oh, there's a book like this? So I think it's not well understood uh, in that context. And, and taking a step further, when I was talking about the maturity, two things to say about that one. And I wasn't just thinking of PMO maturity. I was thinking of project maturity throughout the organization. But having come from IT, you, you may also be surprised or not to find out that the most mature from a project point of view in most organizations is IT, whether that's because there's a certain mindset or because they run so many projects, I'm not sure, but it tends to be IT can be very pro well-run project-wise, and from there, it's sort of all downhill inside of an organization. I'm generalizing, but that's my that's my overall view from, from being a lot of organizations. You know, Jim, you had mentioned feedback you get from your training sessions. I'm, I'm curious, yep. uh, with you and Rich both, what, what have you guys learned about people who've read your book? What's the feedback you get on that of what people take away? When I teach, I'm, uh, I'm, I've been largely teaching for a, um, a funny story, a, a third party, so I can't mention the book. I can't even bring it up. But ironically, a woman came in and said, I have your book. And it turned out some guy at Northeastern was recommending that we didn't even know so the word was getting out. So I, I don't know. I can't answer that question because I'm in a compromised situation where I can't even bring it up. We have good reviews on uh, on, on Yelp and what or I should say on uh, what do we have? What do they do? We have one line. The heck, is it Yelp? I forget. Amazon. Amazon. There you go. Yeah. Amazon. Amazon. Right. Right. Our restaurant gets good reviews on Yelp. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. We we run meetings while we. But no, that's. I, I don't have any personal. I have some personal feedback, but not a lot. We have direct feedback from our PD day. So let's talk about that for a second. So we gave okay. a talk at, at, at uh, PMI uh, Mass Bay. Um, actually, was it uh, New England? It was a. Was that the one that they combined with other? chapters, right? Yeah, um, so. In any case, um, we gave a, uh, a presentation there, which was very interactive. So we talked for a while. Got, we got to demonstrate in real time some of the things that happened because the projector failed right in the middle of our talk. And one of the things we talk about is how to deal with technical issues. So that was kind of fun. But we also did an exercise, a table-by-table -table exercise where folks simulated a, a meeting at each table. And there were about I don't know, 50 people, I think, 60, something like that. Very good feedback from that real-time, I think fairly realistic exercise where they were brainstorming at WBS. One person at each of the tables was given, everyone got a little card that gave them their roles, project manager, team member, but one person, and we haven't talked about this yet, but one person was intentionally one of our goblins, someone who's disruptive in some way at the meeting. And so we saw how each of these teams dealt with the goblin and people love being the goblin, right? They, they love being uh, Tina, the tangent taker, for example. <laughs> so it, that we got great feedback from that exercise. And I think uh, that there would be a demand to do that um, exercise uh, for others because it's learning by doing, which is what 
the, which I now know, <laughs> after teaching thousands of students, that is the way to go. So a, a common thing that I run into with books, right, is how do I practically take the information in a book and apply it to my career, job, profession, life in some way? That is this one of those books that a PM can walk away after reading it and actually go apply what he or she read? I think so. That was the whole purpose. Rich and I, <laughs> Rich will agree with me on this. He tends to lean more academic than me. He wanted to have all footnotes. And can they, we do this? Can we do that? So Rich, let's just keep it at the practitioner level. So what we recommend is what well, it's a couple hundred pages of a softbound book, read through it first, and they can actually take it and use it to help them run the meeting. But it also, uh, actually, an analogy just popped in my head. When, we, when I teach Agile, I talk about not just the sprints and everything, but also the, the Agile mindset. So we want them to not only understand how to run a meeting, but get into the leadership mindset. I tell them, you're large and in charge. And in fact, when we're having the meeting and we're in front of them, I've, I've taken a saying, if you can't do what I'm doing right now, which is to stand up in front of a room, people, and talk and command the meeting, Learn how to do it, but if you don't know how to do it and your meeting has come up, hire somebody to do it internally, externally, or whatever. So we're trying to impart, giving a healthy bit of fear, but also impart, uh, impart a mindset that says this is what it takes to be large and in charge, and this is what it takes. And one of the things we discovered, I've discovered over time, is we as people, you talked about us being people, want to be liked. So we'll let that guy own the meeting for a while, and he'll talk for 15 minutes. The problem is you're respecting him while he talks, but you're disrespecting the other people in the room who have to listen to this guy go on and on. So it is very much of a practitioner's book, I like to think. Yeah, and I, I agree. Uh, Jim did a good job of keeping me uh, uh, focused on the uh, practical, although I would uh, put in a, a put in a comment for myself that says that um, where I went was to get stories, war stories of real right. meetings, what happened at real meetings. Um, and we talked to dozens of project managers and we, we used our networks on LinkedIn and elsewhere to say, hey, tell us the weirdest thing that's happened at, a, at a, one of your meetings and how, how it affected it and how the project manager, if it was you or another project manager, how did they react to it? So uh, we did ground this and I was able to ground myself a little bit because although I, I am teaching at a university, um, I've been through hundreds and hundreds of meetings in my telecom co uh, company where I started as an engineer and then ended up as an accidental project manager for the remaining 30 years of my <laughs> career. So um, I've been through these. I know how bad they can be. Maybe at some point later in the conversation, Jim can actually reference a uh, uh, the Boston Globe article that that's come out to talk about just the other day that came out to talk about how just how bad meetings are in general. Right. You know, you talk about the goblins, and I haven't, I don't know what they all are, but I there may be some reference there to Xennials and Millennials and <laughs> Janelle or all of you, I guess, but Janelle primarily. Right. You, how as a leader of a PMO do you handle this new way of thinking they're bringing? Right. So I'll just put out there that in next year, we're going to have about 50% of the entire uh, workforce is actually going to be made up of millennials. In 10 years, it'll be majority. And it's funny because everybody says, oh, millennials, they're the me generation. They're so difficult. Traditionalists said the same thing about boomers. Millennials don't want anything more than what even boomers or Xers wanted. But they do focus on three things that are very important to them. 
One is feedback. So feedback needs to be immediate and constant. One is experimentation. This is a generation that's very tired of the status quo. They see things differently, and they're going to ask you the hard questions. If it's not going to hurt your project or your company, let them experiment. You're really going to get them engaged and involved. Um, And the last is that vision. So Jim and Rich talk about that in their book about always showing the vision and having a sensory item to show the value of the project or where they're going. They need to see that vision and know that they're part of a bigger purpose. And I love it. Jump in, if, if, uh, if I may, on the millennial boomer thing. I'm a boomer. Rich is a boomer. My kids are millennials. I think they're great. Their friends are millennials. I think they're great. I don't buy into this intergenerational warfare that sometimes goes on at all. I back off from that. You know, when I meet people at meetings, oh, the millennials are on the phone. Well, you know what? Deal with it. You know, they want to be communicated to a certain way. You know, I saw, I, I went to a presentation here in Boston. The woman talked about what were the markers for different generations. For the baby boomers, it was the Kennedy assassination. For the, uh, for the millennials, it was 9-11. How do we process information? If we're boomers, we held, physically held a newspaper in our hand. How do millennials process information? It's like my son says, you guys gave us computers and phones. Why are you? griping now that we use them so <laughs> just just do it just work together because it's just resistance is futile so i just think i work with millennials i work with people who are quite a bit younger than me and we get along fantastically and they do their thing and i work with them that there's never been any kerfuffle about that so when people bring up intergenerational i acknowledge it but i won't i won't i won't play that game i won't be part of it i'm with janelle all the way on that I agree too, and I, I can actually reference another book <laughs> that uh, I worked on. This one's called "Bridging the PM Competency Gap," and I know we're here to talk about uh, our paperback book. But this, in this book, because we brought up uh, gen- um, generations, we have a whole section that talks about how to how different um, millennial, different generations learn and how they could gain competency, since the focus of this book is on uh, bridging a competency gap. Um, we've actually have uh, like, um, I don't know, five or six tables where we have all different aspects of those generations and just how to, how to best best meet their expectations. Uh, very much akin to what Jim mentioned, you know, what's, what, what motivates them? What are some of their markers? What are some of their motivators? Um, so th- that this could actually be used as an adjunct um, you know, when you think about um, meetings, you know, should you tell everyone to put their phones away or not? Um, and and uh, if so, how do you communicate that? Um, so very, very interesting. And, and just to, in line with that, I saw an outstanding TED Talk by, um, and I cannot remember the person's name, but she's from Harvard Business uh, School, and she went out to Google to consult with them. This is an outstanding video. It's about ten minutes. It's about trust. And when she, uh, not Google, Uber, Uber, Uber was in all kinds of trouble, and they needed consultation. She went out there, and one of the things she found was that people were during meetings. So it does go back to our book. They were texting each other about the meeting at the meeting, and she <laughs> thought that was absolutely unacceptable and it was a lack causing lack of trust and disrespect and whatever generation it is here i'm with jim right let's throw the generational dividers out let's make them dotted lines not solid lines she just said we have to stop that we're, we're the meetings are not productive so the phones go off 
at meetings because you're texting each other about the meeting at the at the meeting. And that's no good. And earlier today, just to throw more thing in uh, a, a friend of uh, both mine, myself and Rich. Great, she's great. I'm going to sub for her in a class next week, and we talked about the materials that I'm going to go over. And I was saying, I could hear her typing on the other end, and I say, "What do you think about that?" And I know she was off somewhere typing. I thought, "Why is she doing this?" You know, put the, the typewriter down for or the computer down for five minutes. So it, it isn't generational necessarily. People have different attention spans, and are try- she's multitasking like crazy. So that happens too. Well, we can tell you guys are, are boomers because you said kerfuffle and typewriter. <laughs> and typewriter. <laughs> Jim, uh, when are you taking your hot air balloon back home? Actually, you know who uses kerfuffle all the time is Judge Judy. Uh, you know, my wife watches that, and she says kerfuffle all the time. And, and she says she's not exactly... Not exactly a millennial. <laughs> we're uh, we're, we're getting the smoke signals from you guys on a delay from uh, across country here from Boston to Phoenix with our communication channels going uh, back to typewriters and smoke signals. Right. Well, yeah, we, that's what it is. That's what it is. It's not our it's not our it's not our age. It's just that we, we're talking from 1992. That's right. Yes. Well, the, the younger kids have gone back to vinyl. So I guess we're going backwards in some respect. Right. Well, what's what's new is old. Right. I mean, it, that's yeah. the cycle. And and there's an article in the Globe. There's a guy that still repairs typewriters. Some people still love him and he can't go to business because he can't stop repairing typewriters from the 50s. So there you go. You know, we'll, we'll go down another divisive track here and say, you know, a prior guest we had on was Elise Stevens, uh, who does a women in project management initiative every year where she recognizes uh, 50 plus women every year and does a profile on them. Mm-hmm. And obviously we're, we're, uh, we have Janelle here with us, who's a woman who's a PM leader, right? So what is, how does gender play into PMO and, and, you know, what we didn't get kind of what's your career track right how did you get to be a leader as a woman within a project management space yeah I think I just fell into it like most project managers do I started in IT and I was doing help desk and managing projects and I just realized that I really enjoyed the project aspect of my job so I decided to take a full-time job in project management for clients Um, and then moved on to managing technology projects and took opportunities as they come. And with that came promotions, responsibilities, and being a leader in the org. So I would say for women in project management, um, and this is true of women all across the board and also especially in IT, we tend to not want to go into leadership positions, and that's because we don't feel qualified, whereas my male counterpart, even if he thinks he's a quarter qualified, is going to apply for that role. So it helps a lot to have female mentors that are going to push you. I have great female mentors that tell me if you're not doing something that's terrifying, you're not growing. Um, So I've had really good mentors along the way that have pushed me to do the things that I'm able to do today. And there's a definite parallel here. I was just thinking of one of the things we mentioned in our book Statistics show that men interrupt women far more than women interrupt men, especially at meetings. So I brought that up. I spoke at PMI in New Hampshire, and I brought that up, and I said, guys, let's not do that. So for guys, we shouldn't be doing that. And for women, you shouldn't let us do that. Women need to learn how to, you know, we have to please ourselves, the guys. We say, oh, excuse me, I'm still speaking here. So we that's statistically true, and so we try to make sure that people are that's, – that's the real practical nature of our book, things you need – behaviors. How should, how should you do things? What behaviors should you look for? Not only in others, but in ourselves. 
right? Rich and I are perfect. I find myself with meetings getting hijacked. I have to go back to my training, if you will, or maybe overstepping a younger person or woman because it's, I'm, I'm an old guy and having to pull back and say, no, you don't do that. So that, that triggered that thought when, when Janelle was speaking. And, and this goes to behavioral um, science, really cognitive readiness and behavioral science. If you're self-aware, and emotional intelligence, I should add as well, right? Self-awareness is key. So if you know, hey, wait a minute, I know that statistically, doesn't mean I personally do it all the time, but if statistically uh, men are interrupting women, leave a little bit of a space, be sensitive to a, a clearing of a throat or uh, just a body language that says, I, I'd like to get in here. Uh, and, and just the fact that you're aware of that either as a facilitator or as a speaker, um, makes it makes a big deal. So just being self-aware, you might leave more of a pause. Just very subtle things like that can make a huge difference uh, because someone steps up with an idea and and they're heard, and that's the idea that saves the project. You know, you guys have have given lots of great tips and insights from the book. What would what would you, as the author, say is kind of the key takeaway that you'd wish that people would take away from the book? Go ahead, Rich. If you want to go first, and I'll jump in after that. I, I'd say that the key takeaway is uh, is just manage project meetings as if they were mini projects. Um, if you just apply the very same principles that you apply to your project to the meetings, including communicating who's supposed to be there, why, and when, um, you'd be surprised how much uh, traction you'd get just from that one uh, one overarching thing. There's lots of little tips. That's why it's hard, because the book is full of lots of little things like watch yourself in terms of interruption, here's how to deal with a tangent taker, uh, and, and it's written from that practical perspective, thanks to Jim. Um, but the overarching message is definitely um, manage your project meetings like they were projects. And oh, by the way, you've had the power all along. I think that's true. And like a couple of notes, I mentioned this earlier, but it bears repeating the large and in charge. If you don't run the meeting, the guy or gal with the biggest voice in the room will, they will hijack your meeting immediately. That's one thing that, that to say. The other one is don't worry about being liked. And by that, I don't mean be a jerk. But if you're standing there saying, well, I want him to like me, and this is true for men or for women, then you're going to worry about being liked more than respected or more than running the meeting. You, you've got to control it. And the third thing would be sweat the details. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, you'll say to somebody, you'll say, you'll, you'll get everything set up for this big meeting. People come from all over the country or even all, all over the world. And you say, it's 100 Main Street. And they get to 100 Main Street and there are 35 buildings. And then when they get to when they finally find the building, then they've got to go through security and a video and stuff. And now instead of having a well-run meeting, you got a bunch of kind of angry people you have to mollify. So sweat the tiniest details. Who in the meeting has special dietary needs? You know, where are they coming from? Who's meeting with the front desk? I we I always do a checklist. I'm sure Rich does too, to make sure that if people don't want to go through the checklist, to kind of make them go through the checklist, the meeting organizers, to make sure people show up and if stuff goes wrong, then it does. During it, but I think what I've said to Rich, and I think he agrees. If you're running this big meeting, it's a day, it's two days, or whatever, and you botch it, they're going to say, "And this guy is running my project." So I think right. it's important to, to to be large and in charge. That's 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 my sense. Exactly, Janelle. It's, uh, so you're not the author of the book, right? But you run a department. What what about meetings? Uh, having heard what Jim and and Rich just talked about, are some takeaways from you to you know, do you, do you run into the same things that they're talking about? 
Of course, we all have unsuccessful meetings, and I think setting those standards up front in terms of what you plan to accomplish. And they hit on a very important point that if you're a project manager, you cannot be somebody's friend. You're going to have to make hard decisions, hard calls, and escalations. So if you're wanting to be liked, project management is probably not your area of expertise. Yeah. yeah. Right. You're, you're bound to tick somebody off during a project. And as Rich said the last time, Jim is very good at not being liked. <laughs> <laughs> we like you for that. <laughs> the other uh, kind of an underlying theme for everything you're saying there is, is something that's inherent within project management as well as risk management, right? Uh, you're trying to minimize the risk of a project or a meeting going bad or a project going bad. You know, Janelle, as a PMO leader, how does risk management play into that role and, and all the projects your team does? Right. For me, I think it's actually more than that because I I am in IT project management and it also includes IT governance. So the whole compliance piece that goes along with uh, what we do from an application development perspective. Um, so when you're thinking about projects, you need to think about not just the project risk, but also your IT risk. And IT risk gets a bad rap in terms of IT is not specifically business risk, but it is. You need to know what all those application risks are. Applications exist to support the business. So you need to understand the business need to really be able to assess risk on an application. Uh, all companies should have a IT risk register. So every application, you know what the risks are going in. You can pull that for your project and you shouldn't ignore those. You do so at your peril. And I would imagine, Jim and Rich, it's similar. You know, Jim, you mentioned checklists. Uh, how, what do you use as a tip or a technique to give readers or future readers of the book to try to minimize the risk for your project meetings? I, I think it's those things, those sweating, sweating the details type of things. And also, it, it maybe this might seem paradoxical. But I was thinking when Janelle was speaking about how we're not dogmatic about it. The person I learned uh, facilitation from, and by the way, I have a good facilitator if you're going to do this. Uh, she would routinely, not routinely, but several times in the dozen or so projects we did together, tear the agenda up and, and say, well, we're going down a different path now because of X, Y, and Z. So I think it's the careful, it's just like the pin box says, it's the careful planning. Then the execution becomes easier and the willingness to be flexible uh, helps a lot. It goes a long way. I think all the other things we talked about, but I think it's that preparation. That's my thought. Right. And and uh, in our book, we actually refer to a talk that was very inspiring to me by a gentleman named Jack Duggan. I don't know if any of you have seen him speak. He's pretty prominent at some PMI conferences. And he had a talk called Managing the Dance. Think design, not plan. He's And he, he makes a very interesting distinction between plan and planning. The word plan is static. The word planning is ongoing. And so just to Jim's point, you may run the have a great plan for how this meeting is supposed to work, and then you realize that the VP is not showing up or that uh, a senior VP or, or the CEO is actually going to be at your meeting. They don't announce it. They just uh, – you find out 10 minutes before they're coming. You should be able to, to roll with that. So you can have a plan but you should be planning it's ongoing. And just the, just the simple change of the word from static 
plan, which is a noun, to planning, which is kind of verby, um, makes makes a difference. Uh, so we actually have a subchapter called planning makes a difference, uh, and that's how you mitigate. That's how you mitigate risk. You have a plan, but you're ready to replan. Well, I love it. it. It's been a great show today. Hard to believe that we're coming up on uh, the top of the hour. But it's International Project Management Day, and I think we did justice to the day by having some great conversations about PMO leadership and, of course, the book, How to Facilitate Productive Project Planning Meetings uh, by Jim and Rich. Uh, so I'm going to give you guys each an opportunity and Janelle as well. I didn't mean to say guys as <laughs> all-encompassing as we talked about gender diversity earlier, uh, an opportunity to – uh, let folks and listeners know how they can get in touch with you or what you have upcoming. Uh, so, Rich, we'll start with you. Sure. Um, well, I, I'll actually talk about the recent past. So I was really thrilled to have a chance to be the keynote speaker at uh, on the topic of sustainability and PM, another passion of mine. Um, and so that's that's always top on my uh on my list um in terms of what what to look to me for um i'm working here at boston university as a senior lecturer and trying to weave sustainability thinking as janelle said value and benefit uh, production into all the classes here and actually differentiate boston university in that way by having our, our courses um, much more focused on value delivery and much less focused on although we have to cover it, time, scope, and cost management. Uh, so you can reach, find out a lot more, much more than you ever would need to know simply by going to about.me, or if you're in Canada, about.me, <laughs> slash Rich Maltzman, all one word. It's two words, but it's all one word in the uh, link, about.me slash Rich Maltzman. Um, there's a video there on sustainability, and there's some other information uh, with which you can read about the books that uh, I've worked on with folks like Jim and uh, my friend Laura Donna Abramo. So with that, I'll stop and hand off to Jim. So uh, first of all, Joe, thanks much, Janelle. Great to virtually meet you. Um, Jim Stewart, Jay Stewart at jpstewartassociates.com. I just recently did a, a project summit here in the Boston area as a one-day workshop uh, teaching Scrum. And I guess if I have anything upcoming, it's not a specific thing that's kind of winding the year down. This is probably the main last uh, thing that I'm doing for this year in terms of public speaking. But I, I think you'll find – if you find me anywhere, uh, you'll find me out there uh, doing – a partnering with a woman, this friend that, that I mentioned before that both Rich and I know – and we're teaming up. She's already doing an agile transformation at a healthcare company. And we're, our goal is to uh, go expand there and just spend uh, a lot of time doing agile transformations for companies. And uh, for those that want it or doing pilots for them, that's that's where I hope to spend 2020 and then beyond. Well, thank you both for joining us from Boston. And, of course, Janelle as well. Thanks for being here in the studio. How can uh, folks get in touch with you? Thanks for having me. It's been great. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, just look for Janelle Lee PMP, and you can learn more about my charitable organization at maggiesplace.org. Yeah, thanks so much for prioritizing us appropriately on uh, where we should be putting our $2 and not into Mookie Betts uh, yeah. <laughs> contract extension, but into people who actually have a need. So thank you. Uh, and thanks, of course, to all of our listeners. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in the first and third Thursdays of each month. Our next show will be Thursday, November 21st. We're going to have Lisa Levy and Stacey Sellier with us. 
Uh, and of course, we have a great lineup of guests coming up for the remainder of this year and booked into next year as well. Also, uh, since it is International Project Management Day today, a reminder to go out to IIL.com and register for that conference. If you are a veteran, uh, active duty service member, or military spouse, you can register for free uh, using code VPMMA. Uh, and that conference runs for three months, so you have an opportunity to consume up to 26 PDUs worth of content, which is fantastic. Also, a reminder that these shows are recorded, so please be sure to subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, Google Play, whatever your podcast platform of choice may be. And, of course, thank you to our sponsor, the PMO Squad. Visit www.thepmosquad.com to learn more about the purpose-driven PMO and all of their project management services. So that's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. 